You're listening to Real Chicks Rock Presents Real Discussions, and I'm your host, Michelle Dawes-Burke. Fasten your seatbelts as it's sure to be an informative discussion and conversation. Keep in mind that we are not perfect, but we're empowered. Enjoy. Welcome to Real Chicks Rock Presents Real Discussions. I'm your host for today, Michelle Dawes-Burke, and as always, I'm super excited to be here. 75 million people have already early voted already. I mean, this is just historic. People have gotten out in the past three weeks or so and casted their votes early because it's just all all votes matter. Everything is just critical at this point. The ballot in the ticket is going to be pretty heavy. A lot of people running for Senate, um, the presidential race, everything. And every minute when you're watching television, you're seeing a campaign commercial or ad come across or come through. Um, if you have not early voted already, we encourage and ask and please, please, please go and vote on Tuesday, November 3rd. Polls open as early as 7 a.m. I think they're going to be closing at 7 p.m. It's going to be something, right? Uh, quite a few people will have mailed in their ballots as well. So e- again, every vote matters. Please do not think that yours does not because it does. It's very important. Um, today's topic is dealing with sexual addictions. And I, I just want to thank everybody that has um, joined in and tuned in and provided comments and, and so forth for the show. I uh, just want to give a little background for the new listeners today. It's all about creatively collaborating and connecting to raise awareness regarding the issues that impact women. We do it by so many different ways. We do it by community service efforts. Um, we do it by public speaking. We, we mentor and we do it through workshops and we do do it through this platform, the media, the arts. And so we've been doing this now for a little bit. You know, we we enjoy it. We have an opportunity to bring people in that we feel are subject matter experts to talk about the things that we think are important to us. And today is no different. Um, I have a guest on the phone, um, Mr. Eddie Caparucci, here to talk with us as we talk about the topic of dealing with sexual addictions. Hi, Eddie. How are you? I'm well, Michelle. I'm in the light right now. So, you know, I was in the dark for a while, but we're good now. I know. Congratulations. And I just want to give just a quick PSA for my other guests. Um, Princess Lanclos. She's in Louisiana. Unfortunately, this has been the fifth storm to hit Louisiana and quite a few people are still without power. She reached out to me from her cell phone and said, you know, our data connection is not good. There's no electricity. So unfortunately, Princess will not be able to join us today. We've had her on the show previously and she was awesome. So we'll bring her back again in the future. But we just hope that for her and so many thousands of people that still do not have power, that they get their power quick, fast, and in a hurry because it's been days now, days now without power. But anyway, thanks, Eddie, for joining us. Um, glad you guys are in the light there in uh, Marietta. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Eddie. Give us a little background about who you are, just a little bit. Yeah, I will. Um, it's a long story, so I'll try to keep it. No, you're fine. Go and give us, give it to us. <laughs> Set us up, Eddie. Set us up. Um, okay. Um, I spent uh, about 25 years in the corporate uh, corporate America. I was a marketing and advertising executive. Uh, very successful, uh, did really well in that. Uh, but throughout that entire time, even starting when I was about uh, probably about 15, 14, 15, I had a sexual addiction of my own. Mm-hmm. And with that, you know, I carried out throughout my uh, adult life um, until I was nearly almost 
40 years old, about 38. I had destroyed two marriages because of it. Uh, but yet, to me, it was just, I had no idea why I did the things I used to do. Um, but I was just, you know, more more focused on my career and, you know, making that status for myself. And when I turned about uh, my late 30s and I said, you know, I'm really so tired of this. And I went and I sought, uh, sought therapy and realized uh, I had what was called a uh, avoidant attachment disorder, which basically means that, you know, I would never let people very, very close to me. I'd always keep a wall up. And because of that, whenever I got into a relationship, I had one foot in and one foot out. Mm. So therefore, I never really fully engaged with anyone. There was this fear that people would leave me. They would abandon me. Uh, based on things that had happened in my childhood. So therefore, that was part of, of the overall struggle. Uh, when I was in my late 30s and after I started getting healthy, I met this woman who uh, still my wife today, uh, 23, 24 years now. Um, and she had a very Christian perspective to her. I had always been raised, I was raised in the Catholic Church. I used to go to church, but I was one of these Christians who just threw money in the uh, collection plate and mm. sat there on Sunday morning, and then I would leave and just go back to the world. Mm. Um, but she got me into church, got me into a church that actually started to ground me about Christianity. And with that, uh, my relationship with Christ really developed. Mm. But with that, what also happened is that he came and he said, look, you know what? We're not doing this anymore. I don't want you in corporate America. He goes, I have something else for you. And I was like, no, I don't like this idea at all. This is not a good idea. Uh, you know, the bargain was I get close to you and that would be good enough. Um, <laughs> I fought him for about two years wow. um, if he wanted me to move into ministry. Mm -hmm. And that was the counseling ministry. Mm -hmm. And finally, I gave in. I said, fine, uh, you win. Went back to school, got my master's in counseling, did all the state requirements that are needed here in, in Georgia, and set out and started my own uh, private practice. And what started out as just a generalist, uh, seeing everyone and anyone, whatever disorder they may juggle with. After a short period of time, all these men started coming into my practice that they looked just like me. They were going through the same problems I had, you know, yeah. 10 years earlier. Yeah. And it was like, this is bizarre. What is this about? And they were dealing with pornography addiction, sexual addiction. And I said, you know what? I think this is ultimately the reason why he put me here. So therefore, I also went back and got more certifications in the area of treating both sex and pornography addiction. And since that time, my practice, uh, my wife joined the practice about five years ago. Uh, she works with the women who have been betrayed. Uh, and I work exclusively with men who are dealing with sex addiction and pornography addiction, although I know it's also a growing problem among women. Uh, he had blessed our ministry beyond anything we could ever imagine. Uh, we see anywhere between 30 to 35 people a week. I turn away about 10 people a week, unfortunately, uh, because I just don't have the bandwidth. Since my uh, new book, Going Deeper, How the Inner Child Impacts Your Sexual Addiction, came out uh, in February, I get calls from people not just here in Georgia but throughout the country and actually throughout the world. Uh -huh. um, 
and like I said, that's every single week. So we're actually going to be launching some training programs and things like that. And so anyway, that's just a quick synopsis of what I could tell you in four hours. (laughs) So I want to, if you don't mind, I'm going to pick apart some of the things that you said. I want to ask you, what did you do at Corporate America? What was your job there? I was in uh, marketing and and advertising. I worked in the pharmaceutical world. And what I was, I was the um, director of client relationships. So therefore, or I'm sorry, client services. So therefore, you know, I had a staff underneath me. We'd have the different accounts. And I was responsible for the account people who would be working with their client to figure out what are the promotional materials that they would be uh, developing to sell their brand during the course of the next quarter, half year, even some cases, entire year. Okay. And you did that for how long? Uh, well, I mean, my whole corporate career was about 25 years. I spent the last uh, probably 17 in advertising. Okay. Wow. So that's a long term. So a long time. So Eddie, when did you realize that you liked pornography? You remember when you first got turned on to it and that experience, if it, if it's not too traumatic to talk about it, if no, 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 not not for me, I've been in recovery for so long. It's not traumatic. I talk about this stuff all the time. Um, no, I guess I guess my first exposure to pornography was actually a little bit later. Um, I was about 13, and I was exposed to it by friends in the neighborhood. I grew up in a neighborhood with like 14 other boys. I mean, we were a testosterone-driven neighborhood. Um and some of them were able to get magazines from their older brothers or their fathers and things like that. And we go sit out in the woods or in the um, somebody top of somebody's garage and and just leaf through them. That was my first real exposure to it. And I guess it was about 15 that one of my friends uh, invited several of us into his house where we saw our first uh, porn movie. That was one of his uh, dads. And that, I mean, because that was so graphic. And I think that was kind of like the turning point for me that I realized, oh, my gosh, this could be a great distraction to the emotional distresses that I was going through and felt throughout my entire life Mm. uh, up until that point of a teenager. What kind of stresses were you, distresses were you feeling, Eddie, that you felt that the pornography would be a great escapism? Mm-hmm. Well, let me go back again then. Um, when I was five, uh, I was one of four children. I was the third in the uh, birth ranking. Uh, my dad died when I was five. Okay. And what happened is my mother had a nervous breakdown. And with that, each of the four kids were sent off to different relatives uh, individually. Okay. So here I am at five years old. I'm with the this family. I have no idea who they are. I don't know where my mother is. I don't know where my uh, father is. Yeah. You know, my siblings, you know, I have no idea. Right. Uh, and we're gone for about a year. And then mom finally, you know, thinks, okay, I'm better. I can bring everybody back. And she does. And then she have another nervous breakdown after Ooh. just a couple of weeks. Wow. So we get shipped out again uh, into to other people. And this time they send us to different relatives. Right. So now I'm with new people again. Mm-hmm. So by the time I come back and I'm now like oh, six and a half, 
um, I got this worldview of the people who love you are not dependable. The people who love you will leave you. Okay. Uh, nobody still had spoken to me about my father's death. Nobody ever did speak to me about my father's death till I was about 14 and asked my mother about it. Uh, you know, we just didn't know what was going on. Um, my mom remarried when I was about 11, and he was an abusive guy. He wasn't that physically abusive, but he was very verbally abusive. And he also, he knew that grounding you was the ultimate punishment. So we got grounded constantly. So while our friends were out there and we could hear them, uh, we're stuck in the house. Mm. So it was that living in that kind of environment, that abusive environment that was, that had that distress that I went through. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. So you're, you're liking pornography or you've gotten exposed to it at 13. And so then it did become a regular ritual for you to just kind of continue to watch it with friends or you just kind of, what kind of clicked in your mind to say, I really got to have more of this. Yeah, well, it wasn't so much from the uh, standpoint of pornography because I really couldn't, didn't have a lot of access to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, What it became for me were girls. Uh, When I was 15, all of a sudden it's like, oh, girls. And, you know, they just seemed to be everywhere. And so I started to date with them and hang out with them and experiment with them. And, And what I found was that just having one was not enough. I Ooh. always needed more. Okay. And that started me on this pathway of being a womanizer. So while porn was a part of my life, it wasn't the emphasis of my sex addiction. Mm. The emphasis of my sex addiction were relationships. I wanted people to desire me. Mm. But even though they desired me, and which, and of course, I don't know this, this is all suppressed, there's a fear that, you know what, they're not going to stay. Mm-hmm. So that's why, so why pursue and bring them in at the same time, I'm starting to look for what the exit plan. Okay. Fair enough. Eddie, I want to ask you, what is an addiction? Let's, let's take it piece by piece. What is an addiction? What is the definition yeah. of that for you? An addiction is any sort of, um, behavior or substance that is utilized, uh, first of all, one, we're 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 misusing it, and two, it is used as an escape from our daily lives. Mm -hmm. And what it does, it has a negative consequence and impact on areas of our lives, Mm -hmm. whether it be relationship, it be work. Um, Addictions are something that um, over a period of time, the chemical imbalance in the brain start to develop because the neurochemicals that we are now raising or depleting, um, it becomes very problematic. So therefore, now the brain is craving something. Uh, so now we have the chemical issue that goes mm. on mm. with both of it. So basically, the bottom line is what an addiction is, it is a and escape from our pain that we use, but what it does, it winds up causing additional pain in our lives. Okay. So I want to add, what is a sex addiction? Because I know there might be different conduits and different types. So share with us, Eddie, a few, a few of those, if you don't mind, sir. Yeah. A sex addiction or a pornography addiction is when a person becomes preoccupied with sexuality. 
uh, whether it is just in the idea of a lot of racing thought that go mm-hmm. on throughout the day, um, whether they are actually engaging or acting out, they're looking at porn, or perhaps they're engaging in some other problematic sexual behavior. But what makes it an addiction is that it is, once again, it is spilled over. Mm. Um, maybe they're isolating themselves. Instead of going to social events or hanging out with friends, they would rather stay home and watch porn. Mm. Uh, maybe it's impacting their work because they're up until three, four o'clock in the morning. And, you know, now you got to get up at six to go to work and you're exhausted during the course of the day <laughs> or even worse yet. You're looking and watching pornography while at work Mm. itself. I have had many clients who have been fired because of that. Mm. Or you are womanizing in Mm. work. You are you're objectifying the women that are there. And of course, we saw with the whole me uh, Too movement, you know, early late last year, early this year of how, you know, predominant that is in our culture Mm -hmm. today. So again, or it goes into and impacts your relationship, you know, your marriage, the fact that, you know what, what happens is through many studies, there's probably more than a hundred different studies that show the harmful impact of pornography, including the fact that um, if a partner looks at porn, what they do is they find this sense of dissatisfaction with their own partner, whether it is the body um, image per se, right. or the fact that they will not engage in activities that someone views for porn. So now what we do is we see this divide that develops within relationships. So there's a host of different things that can uh, take place that are all very harmful mm-hmm. because of, you know, problematic sexual um, issues. I, I guess there's such a, it's, this is a very sensitive topic because Things can be right on the borderline or you think it could be normal behavior. And then if you're not careful, you might be opening up a Pandora's box if you're if you're not careful, because when when two people engage in in a sexual activity, there's a lot of different things that are introduced into that space to get people excited. Right. So it could be masturbation. It could be, there's lots of foreplay. There could be some pornography. There's different things, you know, so we're not here to knock how people choose to get down and have insight, but we just want to try to understand, right? When do, when does it cross over into this negative space and it becomes this addiction and how can we call out the different behaviors in our partner? Right. So it's a very thin line, right, Eddie? Is and, and, and what you can do, Michelle, there is to determine, you know, the fact is when one of the partners is starting to feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. with what's going on. Okay. Um, and sometimes in many cases, they're starting to feel used because it seems like, you know, it's all about sex. We can't just make love. We have to have the three ring circus mm. involved in all of it each and every time that that is when you're crossing the line. See, if, if two people are in agreement uh, and I don't care what, because, again, who are we? We are not, you know, the moral police that we're going to sit here right. and say, you know, you really shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. If a couple is in agreement. Mm-hmm. 
and they say, yes, this is okay. Right. We're going to use this, whether it is a sex toy or pornography or certain position, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, that, that's all, that's, fine. that's all well. Mm-hmm. But if, when it crosses over, and I've had a lot of circumstances where, again, you have to remember what's happening since the advent of the internet, uh, back in the nineties, we've had a generation now that has been raised on, you know, pornography. Right. And they're learning about sex through porn. So what they see, and especially pornography over the last maybe 15 years, have become very violent toward women, mm. very degrading, humiliating. And they're looking at this and they're saying, oh, this is what women like. This is what we're supposed to do. Right. So we are teaching a culture of young boys that it's okay to objectify and in some cases abuse girls Mm -hmm. and we're teaching a whole segment of girls little girls Mm -hmm. that it's okay to be objectified Mm. and to be used Mm. secret that's where they're learning about sex nowadays Mm -hmm. and that to me is the biggest issue the biggest problem that we have because they don't understand that oh what they're looking at is not a healthy relationship Mm -hmm. That is all physical, mm-hmm. and there's no emotional component that is involved. Mm-hmm. And that is not the way God designed us to have relationships. We're supposed to be emotionally and physically connected. Yeah. So to me, that, that's the biggest fear that I have as we move forward with this. It's a couple of things, too, here, Eddie, because we also want to flip it on the other side. I want to go back to one of your other statements is that, if a person isn't interested or is not consenting into these certain acts, it doesn't necessarily make that person a sex addict. They could just be a, a, a pair or people that are just not sexually combat compatible. So I just want to say that, right? right? So there are certain things that certain people don't want to do. They don't want to get into. And the other partner might. That doesn't necessarily mean that's an issue. Just could just mean that you guys are not sexually compatible. So, so deal with that. Correct. I think what I'm talking about, Michelle, is like, for example, I had quite a few women who have come into this practice with their husbands and, um, have been upset because their husband had talked them into engaging in sex with other people. Okay. They brought other individuals right. into the relationship. Right. And as you listen to them, and they pretty much all mirror the same thing mm-hmm. with what they say. Mm-hmm. The reason I did it was I was afraid. Uh, I was afraid if I didn't do it, he was going to go somewhere else to find it. Wow. And so, therefore, I felt I needed it. But now that it's been done... I feel degraded uh, and I feel used. Yeah. So it's those types of situations that uh, we talk about. But no, you're right. If two people, you know, if, if somebody, you know, there's a certain preference somebody yeah. has for a position yeah. and the other person yeah. doesn't, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, really, whatever it may be, you know, I stand on your head, yeah, whatever yeah, it yeah. may be. I, I don't like standing on yeah, my head. Yeah, right. I'm not doing right? that. <laughs> That's not breaking. That's not going to make or break a relationship. Right. And and people learn how to navigate that. That's mm-hmm. part of mm-hmm. you know healthy sexuality. Yeah. We learn to navigate in healthy relationships. But when you got somebody who keeps forcing, forcing, forcing yeah. it on them, if you only love me, you know, they start using that manipulation. Mm. If you really cared, you know, you'd know how this imp- important this is to me. Mm. And that that part, that's the other part of people who suffer from these addictions. 
they have very, uh, one, low emotional IQs, and two, they are emotionally immature. Okay. Wow, that's good to know. That's good to know, Eddie. I want to talk about the kids, too, because you raise a very excellent point there. The Internet is everything, right? You learn everything on the Internet. And you're absolutely right. We've, we may have came, come up in a, in a time where there at least there was, and I'm air quoting, a sex education counselor, right? In school, right? right? There, there was yeah. some talk about sex education. Then we also right. might have had parents, some of us, that didn't talk about it at all. So you did kind of learn from what you knew in the streets or from your friend, maybe in a magazine. Playboy was the thing, Hustler magazine, picking up images, you know, people talking, trying to figure things out. I think it was trial and error in most cases because we didn't have the Internet. We didn't have access to everything. And so now you have a generation of people that are middle aged trying to find out what their sexuality is, right? Oftentimes first marriage didn't work. Sex and finances might've been the issue. Now they're in the second part of their life. They're coming out. They know what their sexuality is. So they're very direct in what they want, but we still don't have all the answers. And now we have these children, our kids. We don't you know, teenagers, young adults, where, where are they getting the information? It's from the internet. So how do we bridge the gap to educate our just younger people, young adults better? Is it, is it through just through the, through our faith, through Christianity? Is there other vehicles or mechanisms to help them get that balance as to what sex should be, should be offered to them? I think one thing is, is, programs like yours, Michelle, what mm. you're doing, you're sitting here and you're giving out information as you, as you talked about before, when you started to show what yeah. your mission is. Yeah. And that's part of that, of what we need. We need more people out there talking about, Hey, you know what, what you've been watching on porn yes. for the last 15, 20 years does not equate with the ideal relationship. And you're going to wind up in a world of hurt if you're going to continue to expect your partner mm-hmm. to be acting like this or looking like this. Right. Um, I mean, we've all heard the cases, the stories of men who have pushed women to get breast Im- implants. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And you know, women didn't really want to do it, but they did it. And then later on, of course they, you know, they regret it. Um, we, we need to be able to stop being so shy about, pointing out some of the dangers of pornography Mm. versus just kind of passively sitting in the background and saying it's okay. And I'll give you another example, because as you can imagine, I get men who get dragged in here by their wives, (laughs) and they're looking at porn, Mm. and and the guy's there, and he's telling me, well, I I don't see anything wrong with porn. There's nothing wrong with porn. I go, all right, so I go, then tell me this then. Tell me about that 12-year-old girl you met, all right? And you asked her, hey, honey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she said, well, I think I want to take my clothes off in front of a camera and have sex with strange men and women. When did you meet her? Oh, and, of man. course, none of them have that right. an answer to that. Right. I go, right. yeah, because you know what? If that girl exists, and my guess is there are some that do exist, mm-hmm. someone or someone's have hurt her very badly. Right, right. Okay. And that is why we look and we see these people. If you look at the horror stories that come out for people who have left the industry and they start to give their testimony mm. about what goes on there and how they got roped into all of mm-hmm. it. 
and and the regret for doing it mm-hmm. it is enormous mm. you know now yes i do know that some people go into it because financial reasons right. at times okay there is that but there's also great shame that comes when they leave it because now it is hey guess what you're out there for the rest of the world mm-hmm. to see forever mm-hmm. so whether you go to get married whether you have kids you're out there forever we had a teacher i forgot where it was i think it might have been in arizona or um texas earlier this year who got out it because she was in porn about 10 years ago wow and some of her students found the images mm-hmm. and she was of course uh dismissed because of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. eddie do you think that um a sex a sex a sexual addiction can be part of someone's DNA. Like sometimes we have eating disorders and other type of things like, and and I don't want to be little or, or make it common like a sexual addiction, like a food or shopping. An addiction is addiction, but this is something we don't talk about a lot. But I just want to ask, do you think it's something that could be in our DNA or passed down generationally? What are your thoughts on that? I don't. I mean, I think it's it's more environmental. Okay. And I think it's really driven by childhood pain points from the past. Okay. And what's happening is because of whatever hurts we have, we are looking to distract ourselves from sitting with the discomfort that we feel. So whether it is that we pick up, you know, alcohol, if we start smoking Mm -hmm. pot, if we start turning to gambling, I start mm-hmm. turning to sports constantly. I just become that guy who sits in, you know, my basement like today, football, you know, okay, mm-hmm. football day from one until midnight tonight, <laughs> ignoring my family, all of that. Mm-hmm. That is because I don't want to sit with whatever dis- discomfort I have. Mm-hmm. So I really truly believe that it is more along the lines of those unresolved childhood pain points that have not been resolved, especially when we're talking about things such as food addictions, uh, any behavioral type of addiction. Mm-hmm. When you get to drugs and you get to alcohol, you know, there there, there was something a little bit different when we're talking about substance, substances. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been studies that have been done to try to find out is there the genetic factor involved. Nothing has been conclusive yet. Mm-hmm. We can't say there's a gene that gets passed on right. from, pe- from person to person. Right. But I will say this. This is, again, I still think a lot of that is driven environmentally. Yeah. If you grow up in a home with an alcoholic, mm-hmm. your you're, uh, risk of becoming an alcoholic has increased because that may be your source of, you know, winding, you know, to get out of the discomfort you Mm -hmm. feel. But you could take on many other sorts of types of behavior. You could become, you know, the people pleaser. Mm -hmm. You know, you could be very codependent. I want to clean up the mess all the time. So there's different things depending on, again, I think how you were grounded and was the early childhood development, those different stages you went through where we learned to how to attune, you know, and see people's, you know, emotional state and understand it. Were we able to regulate our emotional pain? Think about it. If you're, if you're a kid and you're in all this emotional pain and nobody's helping you deal with it, what do you do? Right. Well, Kids aren't going to hold on to it because what's going to happen is they're going to become depressed. Mm-hmm. So what they do, they again, not having a lot of 
worldly experiences and having and being driven more by emotional thinking than cognitive thinking, they're going to come up with the one simple solution. I'm not going to think about it. Right. And how do they not think about it? Mm -hmm. They find a distraction. Mm -hmm. Too much food. Too much TV. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that porn stash. Mm -hmm. And now I get to disassociate for a while. Mm -hmm. Because all I'm doing is I'm getting this soothing that is overcoming me. Mm -hmm. What problems? I don't know. I don't. That's the last thing in the world I can think about right, right now is a problem. Right, right, right. So it doesn't necessarily. It's not really designed to replace love. It's just a distraction to just numb the pain, right, of what we feel is missing from our earlier experience as a kid, right? Yes, yes. In fact, what, what we're really seeking almost in any addiction is what we really want is emotional intimacy. Right. We just don't know that's what we're looking for, and we don't wow. even know in many cases what that looks like. Yeah. Okay? I mean, if you go back, and, and I spent a year working in a residential program with people who are dealing with alcohol and drug addiction, and every single one of them, if you go back to the family of origin, you are going to find trauma and neglect. Mm. Trauma and neglect. And at some point, as whether you know in their early youth or later at teens, and sometimes even a little later, they come across something that helps them to deal with this constant state of feeling uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that is when they turn to drugs or to alcohol. Now the group that I deal with, they turn to sex and porn. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about the emotional intimacy, because even some of us that don't have addictions, we could be struggling with that. So maybe just define what that is. Is that that space or place where we need, Eddie, that, that love affirmation, the I love yous, the, the concerning ear, the listening, the, the, you, you're, you're, I'm proud of you. Is it those type of conversations or things that we might not have gotten as a kid? And maybe some of us, we still need it now creates mm -hmm. that emotional intimacy that we're looking for. Yes, that Michelle, it? that's exactly what it is. Um, again, we go back to the early childhood development, and at some point there, you know, we, to your point, we don't receive the affirmations. Mm -hmm. Maybe what we receive instead is a lot of criticism. Um, we don't receive the attention. Mm -hmm. But more importantly is we never learn how to present our pain and hurt and then be validated. Instead, when we sit here to try to talk about things that are painful, they are either minimized, such as it's not a big deal, don't bother me with that, you know, what's wrong with you, mm. you know. Suck it or, up. <laughs> right, suck, right, suck it up. <laughs> or somebody's going to try to fix it. I, I'll tell you, this was a client who, um, this was, this, she suffered from an alcohol problem, very severe alcohol problem. And she also had a weight problem too. Um, her mother was extremely abusive. Her father, very passive, never interjected, never stood up for the daughter. Um, Ma, just let mom, you know, rail on her. And then after they were done, he would take her and buy her ice cream, go buy her candy, mm -hmm. go buy cake. Right. She learned, okay, if I'm upset, 
put food in your mouth, mm-hmm. therefore you stuff down all the negativity. Mm-hmm. And that's what she learned by doing that. And it's the same thing as if you stumble across sex and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, this is like the ultimate of all distraction. Mm-hmm. Remember what I told you, the kid yeah, yeah. looking for a distraction? Right, right. Well, yeah, you know, sitting there and playing basketball in the backyard by myself for two or three hours is a distraction. But this, this is like the mother of all distraction. <laughs> <laughs> and and now it becomes the go-to yeah. for them. Eddie, what is a hypersexuality? It's basically another word for sexual addiction. I mean, whether you say it's hypersexuality, if you call it uh, problematic sexual behavior, you call sex addiction, call it porn addiction, it's all the same. What it is is that your focus, most of the focus that you have throughout the day will come back to sex. Mm. So even if you're sitting there and you're doing work, uh, at some point, oh, here comes a fantasy or an image, and now all of a sudden you start gravitating to something else on your computer. So that's it. It's just another word. There's so many terms that are out there for it. I'm actually moving more toward the problematic sexual behaviors than I am even to a sex addiction okay. as I move forward in my practice. When I met you, uh, we, we talked, bef- you know, offline in the green room and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And there was another buzzword that you used, and I want to give you the opportunity to talk more about it, fetishes. So I want oh. to talk about fetishes and what that means and, and what does it mean and how does one acquire them and what are the different types of fetishes yeah. in the sexual space? Uh, right. A fetish, a fetish is, is an, it could be an object. Mm. Um it could be, um, you know, a, a most of the time it's an object of, of some sort. But what it basically is, is that is something that a person needs in order to be sexually satisfied. So the biggest one we hear most of the time are articles of clothing. You know, who's into a shoe or who's into stockings or lingerie and things like that. But there are all types of fetishes. Mm. I mean, that go to the far, far extreme of the spectrum that you would never even imagine. There are, are people who have fetishes about uh, amputees. So if a person doesn't have arms or legs, they get very excited mm. about something like that. Mm. Uh, you have people who have a fetish about the idea of, you know, being with someone who, you know, is ill in some way. You mm. may have fetishes about, you know, the idea of people who want to have sex with corpse. There are, there are just so many different things. There are some people who claim to have a fetish with their car, that the only place they can get excited about having sex is if they're in the car wow. itself. Okay. So it becomes what it what it comes down to is a fetish is created and developed as something that becomes an imprint in us at a very young age. Mm. So therefore what's going on is we are we confuse it with nurturing. Okay? So let's say you um, you have you know a, a, ki- a, a man who's really let's say he's in the shoes, and he had a mother who was somewhat distant 
from him. Mm. You know, didn't really pay that much attention, was not touchy-feely. But the one thing he remembers so much about that mom was she had this amazing collection of shoes. It was always walking around in her heels or whatever, whatever types of shoes she had. And for him, those shoes represented a sense of comfort. He sexualized those. Wow. And so therefore now when he's having sex with someone, he is requesting, can you put shoes on mm. here? So, but basically, that's basically what it is. Some people, uh, fetishes can become so strong that they will not be able to really uh, become aroused or to finish or to even be anyone, anywhere excited about sex if that uh, item is not in the location of where they're trying to have sex. Mm, mm. Wow. That's a lot, Eddie. It's it a is, lot. It is a lot. It, it's a it lot. lot. It's a lot. Because I, I feel that, you know, for people that are sexually active and having sex, I don't, you know, we don't know what goes on in their room. I'm just thinking about what you're saying. And I'm like, you know, some of it is like my eyes are rolling in the back of my head because I'm like, I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not on that page. I'm not thinking like that. But again, I think it's, things are fine within consent. Like if two people are consenting, then it's fine. Then it's an issue when, then it's not. And then it's, you know, I guess this is why people have reservations about talking about sex because it is opening up like a Pandora box because there's so many different levels and types of engagement and things and toys and fetishes and people. And there's just a whole different, there's just so much. And so again, it's not to call out the negative all the time, but it's also trying to help people find their way to good and healthy relationships. So I want to talk about the therapy piece, right? So Mm -hmm. as we realize that there, there might, there might be something that's not quite right with us as an individual, I guess, like in any addiction, the first step is possibly admitting that you need some form of help, right? Or maybe there's an intervention. So does therapy really actually work for people that are struggling and dealing with sexual addictions? It will work as long as the person who comes into therapy is going to work at therapy. Gotcha. If they are not going to put forth the effort that they need to put forth, no, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. But yes, there, there have been so much has been done in the area of sexual addiction, pornography addiction over the past 40 years. And there's a lot of really good um, approaches. I actually created my own approach that's called the inner child recovery process, mm-hmm. uh, where basically what we're doing is, you know, again, as I said to you before, I believe is our childhood pain points that still haunt us today. Mm-hmm. So with my clients, my clients are learning about their inner child. Right. Who is that kid that's inside you? Who hurt him? How did they hurt him? What, what are then are those core emotional triggers that happened today because the negative event happened that activates your kid. Mm-hmm. And now again, we're just looking for comfort. So we're off and running the compulsive behavior takes over and we go to seek some sort of comfort right. by understanding what are those core emotional triggers. I now can manage my kid. I can sit here and say, Hey, you know what? I know you're troubled. I know what you're hurt by. You know, I've been in your storage unit and I've seen all those pain points that you have. But guess what? 
I can help. I can protect you. Mm. I know what to do. See, back then, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know how to handle this. We didn't have the experience. So therefore, we did it your way. We just right. would run off and, you know, please ourselves. Mm-hmm. We don't have to do that today right. because right. I can sit here and I put it to wide mind. Mm-hmm. So I teach people what I feel, what you feel versus what is real are usually two very different things. Mm-hmm. And what you feel is your inner child who's just running amok because he's stuck in that pain spot back there. Right. You have to take that and you have to put it to reality and say, is this really true? Is this really what's going on here today? Mm-hmm. You know, you felt like something happened where you felt rejected. And the kid goes back and he pulls out something about mom and dad rejecting on a constant basis. But maybe what just happened now was not a rejection. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you think it might be a, je- a rejection, but you need more information at that point to make that determination. So, yes, therapy can be extremely effective for people, but it all depends on the amount of time and effort they will put in. For me, in my therapeutic approaches, 80% of what we do is about insight. Right. Why? We're answering the why question. Why does sex have a stronghold on my life. Right. And I, cause I believe if I can answer that question, mm-hmm. that empowers me yeah. in the future to be able to manage it. Eddie, uh, you speak a, a lot um, from a male's point of view, from your clients. Do you have women that, that are dealing with sexual addictions that come see you for counseling and therapy? Yeah. From an ethical standpoint, as a former sex addict myself and not really former, I'm a recovering mm-hmm. sex addict. Um, no, I do not work with women. Mm-hmm. However, we're seeing that that is becoming more and more of a growing issue. Mm. Again, with the availability of porn, right? You know, because now you know girls getting on there and seeing it and being just sometimes as curious as boys are, right, right. and we're we're looking and we're seeing that perhaps what we're going to wind up with, you know, right now is probably about fifteen percent of all those who struggle with a pornography addiction are women. But that number is growing rapidly. Mm. And I would not be surprised within the next 10 years if we're at 25 or even more percent with that. Oh, wow. Share with me. Really interesting. I'll tell you real fast one one case. Remember, we were talking about, you know, when people agree on a sexual practice mm-hmm. that, you know what, that's okay. Yeah. Well, I had this woman who called and she said, you know, my husband, uh, he's looking at pornography and it's really impacting our marriage and I really want to do something. I go, well, I go, all right, well, come on in. And mm-hmm. they came in and, you know, we're sitting there talking about that to begin with. And he goes, well, you know what? He goes, we watch porn together. And so I turned to her and I go, <laughs> I go, you watch porn together? Mm-hmm. And he goes, she goes, yeah. She goes, I, she goes, I enjoy watching porn. I go, okay, then why are you sitting here then? Mm-hmm. She goes, well, I don't want him watching porn by himself. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. okay. It's a problem That's when exactly, he's watching. That was, you, you must have been in here. <laughs> that was exactly my response. It's a yeah. problem okay. if you're watching it without me, but it's not a problem if we're doing it, watching it together. Got it. Correct. So therefore, now make him stop doing it Make him stop. Come on, Eddie. Make him cut it out. Make him swear he's going to stop doing that. Yeah, I go, no, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. I go, 
I go, I, because you want me, we're trying to calm down all the racing thoughts that yes, pornography yes, brings. Right. Okay. And what you're telling, what you're asking me to do is, okay, no, just limit it, that, <laughs> limit that for a certain period of time. And then the rest of the time is okay. Yeah. But it doesn't work that way. Mm, mm. I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all or nothing. It's all I or nothing. I can't do that. <laughs> Eddie, I want to talk about the great work that your wife is doing. Again, you talked about with, unfortunately, your relationships, they didn't work because of your addiction and your former addiction. Um, your marriages didn't work. And now, you know, you've been blessed with a beautiful wife and she's getting in there helping. And there's another side to it. There is this hurt for, for women that, unfortunately, are in these relationships or in these spaces with men that are dealing with sexual addictions. And so we need women would need an outlet. So I talk to me a little bit more about the type of work that your wife is doing and what kind of services are out there, because there could be women that are listening that are like, I, I believe my, my partner is struggling in this. I don't even know where to begin to get help because the first thing we deal with is embarrassment. We're always dealing with the embarrassment piece of it. And then there's a fear factor because if you married someone, it's for better, for worse. And so there's a consciousness with us that says, well, this is this better or worse piece, right? I want to kind of be here with my husband as he deals with this. But then it puts us in this space of we're not good enough. There's this rejection. There's this um, I, I, lack of trust because I don't know if when my husband or spouse or partner's not with me, is he doing um, you know, c continuing to indulge in the sexual abuse, addictive type of behavior. So tell us a little bit about what your wife is, is able to offer the services that are out there for the women that have to, that want to stand by and support their husbands right. through this. Yeah. And actually, um, until she came into the practice, I actually worked with the women mm -hmm. also. So I worked with the husband and the woman. First and foremost, it is, you know, educating women and letting them know that this is not about you. Uh-huh that in nearly every case, the problems that are being seen came into the marriage. All right? So there's been something going on for a long, long wow. time. So therefore, it's not about what they are doing wrong or the fact that they're not good enough. Okay. It is about his problem. Uh, the second thing is my, what the real thing that my wife works very much with them on is creating boundaries. Mm. Okay, we need good, solid boundaries to your point, Michelle. So this way I'm not always worried where you are, what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And in the early stages, those boundaries are pretty tight. Yeah. So therefore, we may have GPS tracking on your phone so mm -hmm. we know where you're at. Yeah. Um, we may have um, a software devices that are on all electronics. So if you go to us, you can't go into certain websites. Um, I've seen wives who, especially when we wind up having men who get involved with affairs or prostitutes or uh, massage parlors and things like that, mm. that, you know, we are, we are burning clothes. We are selling homes. We are selling yeah. cars. We, I mean, we're going to the extreme to get rid of every and anything that serves as a trigger for her. And I'm mm. not saying any of that is wrong. Mm. because one thing we need to do is we have to create safety. And that's what mm. Terry does. She says, what's going to make you safe? 
and then she'll share that with me. But most of the time, I'm working with the husband, she's working with the okay, spouse. Okay. And we, although we do have our own separate clients at times, mm-hmm. and I'll say, okay, what does she need to be safe? And now I'm working with him mm-hmm. to say, here, this is what we have to implement now. Right. But it's all about safety. That's yeah. what it's all about yeah. at the beginning in order to help them start to heal because they've been traumatized Mm -hmm. that's what we're dealing with is trauma the biggest problem i have with my guys that's why i call them my guys yeah is that you know it's not even helping them get through their sexual addiction or pornography addiction it's help it's getting them through helping to deal with their wives who are grieving Mm -hmm. because you know because again they have a barrel of rocks which they should, and they're throwing them at them, Mm -hmm. which is okay. Mm -hmm. And these guys can't take it. And it's like, no, 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 you have to take it. Yeah, Yeah, but it hurts. (laughs) Duh. Okay. (laughs) What do you think going on with her? Yeah. Yeah. That's her. What do you think she's doing? She's suffering here. Mm -hmm. And I'll say this last thing about this. My loyalty, even though I work with the men, my Mm -hmm. loyalty lies with those women. Mm. So I will never push a man back that way mm-hmm. unless I am pretty certain I'm seeing all the key factors laid out right. that I can say, I think this guy's risk of acting out is low. Mm-hmm. Until I see that, I'm, I'm not telling my wife to say, hey, go and see if you can start doing that uh, reconnection work. For alcoholics, they typically even though they're recovering and they're beating their addiction, they typically go to meetings to continue to make sure that they're strong in that space. Is that a similar thing, a recommendation, Eddie, for sexual addictions that as you're recovering and even if you've come over that hump and you've restored the safety within your marriage and the boundaries and everything, is it that it's recommended that they may go back to meetings and have these conversations just to keep strong in the recovery process? Right. Absolutely. I mean, we're coming out and we're doing 90, you know, in 90, you know, 90 meetings, 90 days. We're starting right there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then we're going to get into a community. Mm Community is important. The lone wolf will fail. Yeah. And even for the women, my wife gets them into a community also mm-hmm. so that they can be surrounded by like-minded people right. who have gone through. And that answers the, the, the point that you made before, Michelle, about the fact of shame. Mm. Oh, okay, other women have gone through yeah. this too. Yeah. You know, we're like a sisterhood in a, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's still some shame about them, about all of it, but still it just empowers them more. Right. And especially as you sit and you listen to how people have handled different circumstances and situations. And I encourage my men as I move them on, I said, your group, that is that that is your now your way of life. Mm. Mm. Those guys, you should be in that group for the rest of your life. Wow. And if that group breaks down for some reason, we got to move you into a new group. A group. Mm-hmm. Because, again, you don't need to be in therapy for the okay. rest of your life. Okay. Okay. But you do need to at least be in some kind of a group therapy. Accountability partners. Exactly. Yeah, to hold you accountable. Eddie, talk to me about your book. You are an author. Yes, sir, aren't you? Yes, I've offered uh, I've authored two books thus far. Okay. Uh, the first book was um, what the heck the name of the first book? Right here. <laughs> removing removing your shame label. Uh, <laughs> learning how to break from shame and feel God's love. And okay. my 
Uh, second book has been this one called Going Deeper, yes. How the Inner Child Impacts Your Sexual Addiction. And again, mm. it goes back to the idea that I believe it is our childhood pain point that drive our addiction. What's really interesting about this book, Michelle, is that everybody who've read it, including the leaders in the industry, have all said, you know what, you could take the word sexual out of here and you could use any addiction awesome. to describe these different kids. And yeah. what I've did, done is I've identified nine different children. This uh-huh. is the uh, emotionally voided child child who really can't feel emotions, doesn't understand what it's like, is very afraid to be vulnerable. Mm. Um, There are nine different kids that I've created in this, and they're all based on the work I've done with men over the years, Mm -hmm. seeing what their pain points are. Like, for example, the bored child or the unnoticed, the unaffirmed Mm -hmm. child, Mm -hmm. the need for control, and, of course, the... um, early sexually stimulated or sexually abused child. Nice, nice. I'm, I'm going to get that book because I heard you say that it can be used in any area. Just take the word sexual out. But it's good to understand how people originate from, what what their thoughts are, what stems them, because we're, we're relational people. So we're going to be in relationships with different types of people. So it would be a good mm-hmm. identifier to understand the different traits and things, because sometimes with men, it's just very, you know, it's very hard for them to express themselves, to show, to right. be sensitive right. because of suck it up, be a man, things that they may have been taught of when they were younger. So I think for us as women, if we can meet them halfway or just understand what some of the things or challenges that they're dealing with as a man, that can help us. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. that, and, that point, and now you're on the subject of my third book that I'm writing. Oh. Go, going even deeper, helping men do relationships. Wow. Because they don't know how to do relationships. They don't know how to be emotionally connected. Ooh. They don't know how to be outwardly focused. They mm. don't know how to be curious. I've identified 15 what I call blind spots that keep a man from having a true, nurturing, and healthy relationship. I like that book. When is that book coming out, Eddie? Um, I'm thinking probably late spring, early summer. Ooh, I want that one. I want that one. <laughs> I, that do, one. I do, too. I want it, too. <laughs> That's going to have some keys of information there, Eddie. I got to have that one. Uh, I got to have that one. How can the people find you? Uh, you are here in Georgia. You're north of Atlanta. So people... People that are listening are probably going to want to call and see and get some consultation. How can people find you, Eddie? Yes, they can. I'm over in Marietta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. Um, First, let me say this, though, uh, because I don't want to disappoint people that I am not taking new clients at this time. Uh, I have not been taking new clients for months. mm -hmm. Again, as I said, ever since the book came out. Yeah. Um, I was busy before. I had maybe a one or two week wait time. Now I have a two, three month wait time. Wow. Wow. Um, Yeah. It's, it's, you know, that's a very bitter, sweet kind of thing. Understood. You want to help everybody who Mm -hmm. calls. So anyway, I'm not doing that. Um, However, you can reach me at edcappa, E-D-C-A-P-P-A at Mm -hmm. gmail.com. There's also a couple groups that are online on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's the Inner Child uh, Recovery Process um, Discussion Board. Mm -hmm. Somebody started a, um, like a fan club. Yeah, Facebook page, yeah. 
Uh, you can go on there, and I and I show up quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, doing that. Um, you could Google Capparucci uh, on YouTube. You'll find all kind of videos. A lot of them are about uh, help for women who have been betrayed. Awesome. Um, that's that's actually my podcast that I do, mm. uh, getting to the other side. So you could find some of that stuff there. Um, but again, it's Ed Kappa E D C A P P A at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Do you have any colleagues or any other ways that people can get therapy? We respect, and that's awesome that you're busy because that means you're doing great work. Um, but it's unfortunate because that means that there are a lot of people that need your services and you're just one right. man. Is there any other way that people can get some help since you're pretty busy? Pretty yes. busy? Um, and actually what's happened is, see, when the people have been calling me and I told you people calling, not just throughout the country, throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I first said, I go, well, I'll find you a sex addiction therapist. They go, no, 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 we don't. We want a sex addiction therapist that does inner child work. Ah. Um, so what I've done, because that was only me, mm-hmm. what I've done is I've created a, um, a training program for clinicians mm. that will be launched in November. Mm-hmm. And we are going to train, I hope, over 150 clinicians throughout the world. Wow. We haven't, we haven't even started promoting it yet. And I already have almost 50, including somebody from Israel and somebody from France who will be doing it. Wow. But I do have a couple coaches and I have a counselor who I've trained already. Mm-hmm. So we could do that. I also have on my website, innerchild-sexaddiction.com, mm-hmm. a 12-week online program. Okay. If somebody wants to walk through that and I make myself available for about 10 or 15 minutes every week to answer questions, I priced it so that it is, it's like you see me three times. Mm -hmm. I wanted people to get this help. Yes. And this will walk you through everything that I do when I'm bringing somebody through the whole inner child recovery process. So again, that's innerchild-sexaddiction.com. Yeah, no, definitely reach out. I I take everybody's call. I try to find a place for them. Um, I just, again, because that's why God put me here and that's what I'm here to do. Can can we get these conversations back in school, Eddie? Is it uh, maybe about funding or getting, or we just don't have the guidance counselors or people in place like we used to? I think people are so pre in the school setting. I think right now um, the whole uh, the culture is more about acceptance. Mm-hmm. How do we teach people to accept and tolerate? Which uh-huh. is a wonderful thing. We need that. Right. But that seemed to be ninety percent. That's where everything went, and we're leaving out a very important segment of what the dialogue needs to be Mm. and that's about healthy sexuality and what i mean by that is i mean sex that comes with good self-worth and self-esteem yeah that's what i mean i got you got you got you eddie this was great thank you so much for your time i really really appreciate you um i want to just thank everybody that was listening today's show was powered by dignified diva i had adalia here a couple of weeks ago awesome young lady doing some phenomenal work for women. It's all about helping women that are homeless and it's just trying to give them a little class and a little dignity as they receive toiletries and different items. And so her mission has been to 
uh, collect purses lightly used or no longer wanted purses, fill them up with hygiene products um, so that she can turn around and give these bags back to women that are unfortunately living in homeless shelters or in the streets. So this is Dignify a Diva. Feel free to reach out to them, make a donation. I know people are home. You have been home for the last seven months, cleaning out your closet, purging, getting rid of things that you no longer need. Please feel free to give those unwanted pocketbooks, uh, toiletries. We need toilet, uh, uh, toothbrush, toothpaste, shower caps, feminine products. These are things that women need that are living on the streets or live, are living in transitional places or homes. Feel free to reach out to Dignify a Diva. This is the official uh, IG tag. They are also on Facebook. Reach out to them. Make your donations to them. We'll take the used bags. We'll take the toiletries. We want to get ahead of it before the end of the year. Everybody likes to give around Christmas, and that's great. But there are 11 other months in the year where women need our help. So feel free to reach out to them. Thank you so much, guys, for powering our show today, being a sponsor and a supporter of today's show. That's my time for today. Today, you know me. I'm Real Chicks Rock. I am everywhere. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. We have a website, realchicksrock.com. Go to YouTube and re- uh, subscribe to our channel uh, over there as well. This has been a very informative conversation. Thank you so much, Eddie, for your time. Thank you all guys for listening. Until next time, you be well, take care, and continue to rock on. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have a product or service you'd like to have promoted during the show, please contact us at info at realchicksrock.com and we'll send you the details. We're reaching the masses and we would love for you to join us on the ride. Until next time, take care and continue to rock on.